0: Today I'd like to focus on a couple of verses that most of us will be familiar with, Romans 8, 28 to 30. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn there. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, so uh, whatever you have might be slightly different, although this is not a bad, um, uh, this is not a difficult section to translate, so all the different translations will be pretty close. Romans eight twenty eight to 30. And we know... Oh, yes, forget about this. You guys are right on. I appreciate that. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the the Lord. (laughs) Please be seated. A A little girl named Sissy was riding her bike one day, and without knowing it, she bumped her head on a a low-hanging branch. She ran into the house and began to yell, Mommy, Mommy, Joey, hurt me! She thought that her older brother had thrown a rock at her or something. Her mom looked up from what she was doing and said, Sissy, Joey didn't hurt you joy's not even here he went to the grocery store with your father little girl got this very startled look on her face then in kind of a bewildered tone of voice she said "Uh, that means that stuff like this can just happen on its own at any time whoa what a bummer In the midst of a world where bad stuff can randomly happen on its own at any time, these verses in Romans chapter 8 are a spiritual life jacket. Several years ago, Bob and I had, had the uh, barb, and I, boy, I can't get my, got my tongue around my eye teeth, couldn't see what I was see, saying, but uh, anyway... Several years ago, Barb and I uh, got to do some whitewater rafting uh, in my home state of Oregon. Uh, for the trip down the river, uh, which was filled with rapids, we had these special life jackets. They, they fit very tightly, kind of like my coat is now because I've gained some weight, very tightly around the torso and held your head up. Uh, so that if you fell overboard going through one of the rapids, it would keep your head uh, above water, supposedly, anyway. Those life jackets gave us assurance of safety, and they gave us confidence to face even the worst rapids uh, that day. And one of those rapids was a Class 5 rapid. We'll hear a little bit more about that later. In verse 28, we find these, these few words of reassurance. Again, a spiritual life jacket, if you will. This life jacket will carry us through the times when, when, when the swirling torrents of life threaten to drag us under. The title of this message this morning is Knowing God's Intent, His Intention knowing god's ultimate aim and purpose for us is that life jacket that i'm talking about uh, it encourages us what does encourage mean produces courage in us when we're going through tough times you see god loves us too much to let us suffer without a purpose you may have heard me say, God, allows, uh, God loves you too much to let you suffer. But that's not what I said. I said, God loves you too much to let you suffer without a purpose. Barbara and I have a friend, Clayton Blackstone, who, Blackstone who's a pastor in Bangor, uh, he's written a little book called Meet Me for Breakfast. In it, he writes this. I suspect that after quoting the verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him might... Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> that whosoever believes in him might have everlasting life that we most often quote the very next verse, you know, or the most often that we quote... For we know that God works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We most often quote it, he says, when we, or someone that we're trying to encourage, has experienced an at-hand disaster or disappointment. Clayton continues, Although the randomness of the moment is perfect order in God's greater plan we are denied the roadmap of how we get there from here. We are only told that we do get there. All things work together to form us into the glorious image of of the Father's Son, he says. We see their effects accumulatively rather than progressively. We don't see things in order. We just, uh, as he says next, by hindsight rather than foresight in ways that we seldom ever imagine end of end of the quote the reason that eight, that Romans 8:28 to 30 encourages us is that it lets us know life is not a random chaotic mess it may seem like it it may seem like some of those rapids that we went through but it's not god has promised that we that What may feel awful is really awfully good for us. You're probably saying, Boy, I don't like listening to this guy this morning. (laughs) It gets better, so hang in there. God's purpose for those he has called and those who respond by loving him is that in all circumstances, he works for our good. The circumstances that we don't like are being used by God for our good. We have a tendency to know this with our heads. We don't always grasp it with our heart, with our gut. We're convinced of these facts. We, you know, we know them by faith because we read them in the, in the scriptures. And we do know them by experience because we've experienced it ourselves. Or we, we've experienced it ourselves by looking back at a bad situation, thanks, <laughs> uh, uh, and say, oh, I can see God working in that uh, from the back. Um, or maybe we've seen it in the lives of someone else who's been, gone through a difficult time. So we, have, uh, we have a friend, uh, Kathleen Vandenbrink, who had brain surgery a week ago uh, to repair an aneurysm. Her husband, Brian Vandenbrink, some of you may, that might click in your head. He's a a well-known architectural artist in the area. Her husband, Brian, wrote on her blog uh, two days ago, I know that ultimately she is in God's hands and loving care, but it takes faith to believe that, and sometimes that faith gets weak when what you are looking at in real time is painful and hard. So sadness can creep in, and if you aren't careful, will bring discouragement. I'm so thankful, he writes, for the scriptures that remind me, therefore we do not lose heart, because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is unseen is eternal. This morning... He wrote, This morning we are sing- singing with renewed faith and trust that God is walking in this path with us and Kathleen is securely in his hands. Brian has that life jacket on that I'm talking about. He places his trust in God alone. So so truly Placing our trust in God will provide us with the spiritual life jacket that I'm talking about. Uh, When Barb and I went whitewater rafting in Oregon, we trusted our life jackets to save us should we fall overboard. But in order for the life vest to save us, we needed to put it on and we needed to keep it on properly. At one point that day, we stopped and pulled the, the raft. This is a six-eight, um, six six-man six raft with the guide in the back. So we pulled the raft up on the side of the uh, up on the bank, and then we walked ahead to look at the worst rapids that we would face that day. <laughs> you know, and then we got to figure out, okay, where we're we going to go through this to get through this. Kind of thing. Most of us unbuttoned our vests so we could breathe again while we did that. Well, we get back in the raft, and one of my brothers, um, who happened to be the guide (laughs) guiding us in the back, forgot to put his vest back together. We went through a class 5 rapids before he realized (laughs) that his vest was flapping in the breeze if he had fallen overboard the vest would have done him no good what i want to do today is encourage you to put on this spiritual life jacket and to keep it on there's an outline in the bulletin with some blanks if you're interested if you're not interested that's fine too Everybody listens and learns differently. On that outline, uh, and mine kind of faded. So I want you to be sure that you, that you, I want to be sure that you understand what it said. What faded out over here is that this is fact number one, fact number two, fact number three, and so on. So that's what we're going to go through. Okay? These facts, at least in my mind, Help us to put on and keep on this spiritual life jacket. Fact number one, God is good. Fact number one, God is good. This is not specifically stated here in this passage, but it's understood from the context and from the rest of the Bible. Psalm 106:1. 1, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And that's just one of many, many times that this phrase is repeated throughout the Bible. God is good. Why else would he listen to our prayers, provide for our needs, send his son to die for our sins, that we just heard the song uh, sing about, so that we can receive pardon and forgiveness and experience fellowship with him now and, and forever? So you see, knowing and truly trusting what God, that is good, excuse me, that God is good is is the logical prerequisite to putting on the spiritual life jacket. If we slide into the devil's lie that God is not really good because he's allowing this bad thing to happen in my life, uh, we've already, you know, we've unbuttoned the life jacket and let it fly. We must believe God's promise here in Romans 8:28. The Bible is very clear on the point, God is good, and A, only God is good. Only God is good. In Mark 8 10:18, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, a man called Jesus good teacher. Jesus replied, Yeah, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Because only God is truly good, He is the standard for good. Now, I didn't make that a point on the outline, but that's a key uh, in what I'm talking about this morning. God is the standard for good, not me. Not you, not anybody else. We lose sight of what is good. We we think it consists of good things, good circumstances, good feelings. But God's idea of what is good for us might be different than what we think it should be. It's very much like what happens when a parent has to discipline a disobedient child. What do we say? this is for your good. (laughs) Even though you don't think that right now. (laughs) Only God is good, and because he is good be, God gives only good things. God gives only good things. What do I mean? That bad situation that has happened to us is a good thing even though we don't see it at the time. James 1:17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Anything that is good comes from God. If it's not from God, it is not good. It doesn't matter how good it looks. It doesn't matter how good it feels. It doesn't matter how good it tastes. If it doesn't come from God, it's not good. I think beets didn't come from God. But ice cream did. Like I have said before, there will be no beets in heaven. Beets will be the main course in hell, and heaven will be full of ice cream. Of course, I'm being facetious again. Because I don't like Beets, and I love ice cream. But some of you love beets and hate ice cream. Uh, does anybody really hate ice cream? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> uh, Fox, I'm just. This is a. You know, this is free. This is a side. You don't. <laughs> you didn't have to pay for this one. Uh, uh, Fox News reported in the summer of uh, 2010. That Michelle Obama did an interview with Ladies' Home Journal. In it, she says she doesn't—excuse me, she can't stand beets. And I quote: "Neither the president nor I have the beet gene." Uh, that gives me one reason to like them. <laughs> Anyway, Barb has been trying to get me to eat beets for 45 years. Several years ago, our daughter in law, Angelie, prepared a beet salad. And I actually ate and pretty much enjoyed it. That's probably because the taste of the beets was obscured by a very tasty salad dressing. Barb still hasn't gotten me to eat beets since then. The point here is that our experience is not the standard of goodness. Goodness is not determined by my experience. Goodness is determined by its source. I've had a bad experience with beets but that doesn't determine whether beets are good or bad in and of themselves. Goodness is determined by its source, by where it came from, not by my experience. Ice cream tastes good. It makes me feel good. It makes me temporarily happy. But ice cream is not good for me. Notice the <laughs> what's right there. Anyway... Experience is not the standard for goodness, particularly not my own experience. God is the standard for goodness, not what I like or don't like. Now, the fact is that God is good, but sometimes we don't recognize his goodness because it doesn't look good from our point of view. Sometimes things have to hurt in order to get better. We have to go through the pain of surgery to remove disease or or fix broken bones or repair aneurysms like our friend Kathleen. We have to endure physical therapy for our shoulder or our knee in order to get better and for those joints to be more useful. In 2001, five days after 9-11, I was bucked off a horse. The cinch broke while she was bucking, and me and the saddle went flying. (laughs) Uh, The ground was hard, dry clay. So when I hit it, it was like hitting a rock. Shattered my shoulder, broke my pelvis in two places. I spent six months in physical therapy. Therapy that I did not like because it hurts. It ached for hours after going through every physical therapy session. But I endured it because I knew in the end it would be better for my shoulder if I did go through the PT. Our problem in determining what is good, is that we use the wrong standard for goodness. We use our standard. Our standard is whatever we think is good for us. I don't like beets, but I love ice cream. We say, I'm the standard for good. God says, he's the standard for good. God is good. He's so good, in fact that he turns even bad things into good for us. That's a definition of goodness in my book, right? God turns bad things into good for us. That's the point of, of the word all in this verse. All things, whether or not we like them, all things are used by God for us. The point of God's goodness is not that nothing bad will ever happen to us again. Like that little girl Sissy discovered, we live in an evil world where bad things can just happen. But God takes the bad things that happen and brings eternal good out of them. God uses even the bad situations and experiences to bring about good, good in our lives and good in the lives of others. Ultimate example of this principle is, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which brought about the spiritual rescue of all believers from sin and death. From the disciples' point of view, Jesus' death was the worst possible possible thing that could have happened. But in the end, it was the death of Christ for us that brings the most good, the salvation of our souls. Well, so far we've discovered that God is good, meaning that only God is good, and that God gives only good things. This brings us to fact number two. God promises a good purpose. God promises a good purpose. Purpose. Um, you might uh, add some other words there than purpose, if you like. Uh, result, uh, a good ending, you know, th- those kinds of, of things. He is working for our good, for our best interest. But not all things work out for the good of all people. To whom does God promise good? A to those he calls. To those he calls. Romans 8 28. Who have been called according to his purpose. Jesus says in John fifteen, fifteen, You did not choose me, I chose you. Acts eight thirty-nine. The promise is for you and your children and all, excuse me, for all whom the Lord our God will call. To whom does God promise good? To those he calls, and B, to those who love him. To those who love him. It, to love God in return is the normal, natural, reasonable response to his calling of us. John 14.21 is one of my favorite verses. I do not um, carry it out (laughs) as well as I should, uh, but it's very important to me. John 14.21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. So, by obeying God, we show we love him. The passage we are studying in Romans 8 states that only those who continually love God. That's the meaning of the, the original Greek Verb tense there in verse 28. Those who continue to love and obey God are the ones for whom this promise is given. And God has a special plan and purpose for them. What's God's plan? God's plan is this absolute glorious future destination. We call it heaven. Excuse me just a moment. Things are beginning to drip. There's this absolute glorious future destination. Verse thirty: Those he predestined, he also called; those he called, he also justified; those he justified, he also glorified. Wow! I mean, we're going to be, and and that's the word that is used about Jesus Christ after his resurrection. We're going to share in that, in that glory. God has a, has a wonderful future plan for us. It, and it's such a wonderful future that in 1 Corinthians 2.9, we're told that no eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What is God's purpose in all of this? His purpose is for us to become like Jesus Christ. Ooh, That's the difficult time part, right? This is God's definition of what is good for us, to be like His Son, Jesus Christ. What's best for us is to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. We are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That means that God is working to change us for the better so that we become like Jesus Christ. Now... How is it that God is able to deliver on his promise? He says he is good, and he has promised to make us like Jesus and to take us to heaven, that that glorious future. How can God deliver on his promise? Because, fact number three, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And if you're like me, you don't know how to spell sovereign, so I will spell it. S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N. I had to look that up to put it in here, right? <laughs> no. I'm a terrible speller, so that has nothing to do with it. This is not specifically stated here again, but understood for many parts. of Psalm um, 95.3. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Period. (laughs) That's what sovereignty is. When we combine God's characteristics of goodness and sovereignty, we find that he is faithful. He does what he says he will do. He's promised to get us to that glorious future, he is faithful to do that. To put it simply is A and B there. What God plans, he completes. What God plans, he completes. And B, what God promises, he finishes. I just tried to find different ways to, to say the same thing. He's faithful. God plans what he completes, <clears throat> Excuse me, what God plans, He completes, what God promises, He finishes. Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises. Hebrews 10 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. In Romans 8:30, the Apostle Paul is so sure of that future outcome. That it can be stated in the past tense. As if it had already happened. That's how sure he is of God's faithfulness. What's it say in Romans eight thirty? Those he justified, he also glorified. Past tense, period. It's already done. As soon as God thinks it's it's done. Since God is good... Has good intentions for us and has the sovereign power to fulfill his promises, then we have to conclude fact number four. Whatever God allows is for my good. Ouch. Whatever God allows is for my good. I don't think I can state this any more clearly. Because God is sovereign and good. Whatever he allows to happen in my life is what is ultimately good for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that everything is good. Some things that happen are obviously bad. They're hurtful, harmful, even evil. But God is working in and through all my circumstances to bring about what is good for me. What is best for me. Even the worst of circumstances is being used by God to bring good to someone. Terry DeBoer, and that's a woman, T-E-R-R-Y, by the way, uh, is currently a well-known meteorologist for WOOD-TV 8 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Prior to moving to Grand Rapids, she was a TV reporter in Green Bay, Wisconsin. While she was working in Green Bay, five teenage girls were walking home from school when a teenage boy lost control of his car and plowed into them, killing all five. It was Terry's job to contact the family members to see if they had a statement. She didn't relish the assignment. She hesitantly knocked on the first door, and a man with obviously red eyes said, Yes. We would like to say something. Our daughter loved Jesus with all her heart and had accepted him as her Savior. Our hearts are breaking. We miss her so much, but we know that we will see her again and we take comfort in that. Terry, who had been raised in a family that never went to church, was amazed. Her amazement continued as she visited the next four houses. Each of the girls' families had similar responses. All five girls had known Jesus as their Savior. As their families faced the nightmares of their death, they were able to find peace and comfort in the faith of their daughters. That experience was the beginning of Terry's own Spiritual awakening God used the testimony of those parents to start Terry on her journey of faith Not long after that she too received Jesus as her personal Savior Although we cannot always know all the whys of Life in this side of heaven We trust in the facts that God is good His intentions are honorable And he is in control of every situation. As as you face the week ahead, remember that all, everything, the good and the bad, all things that happen to you this week are being used by God to make you more like Jesus Christ and fit for heaven. Do your best to cooperate with God's plan and purpose. That's what the writer of our last hymn did. The words for the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, were written by Horatio Spafford. Some of you know the back story. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy Chicago lawyer in the 1800s. He had a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and a son. He was a devout Christian. One of his friends was Dwight L. Moody. At the very height of his financial and professional success, Horatio and his wife Anna suffered the tragic loss of their son. Shortly thereafter... On October 8, 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed almost every real estate investment that Spafford had. In 1873, Horatio scheduled a boat trip to Europe in order to give his wife and daughters much-needed vacation, time to recover from the tragedy. Spafford sent his wife and daughters ahead of him, he remained in Chicago to take care of some unexpected last minute business. Several days later, he received a telegram. His family's ship had encountered a con- coll- collision. All four of his daughters drowned. Only his wife survived. With a heavy heart, Horatio boarded a ship that would take him to his grieving wife, Anna, in England. It was on that trip across the Atlantic Ocean, near the place where his daughters had drowned at sea, that he penned those now famous words, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul.